Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, I just have the feeling of, I've never done this before. Uh, usually when I preach, uh, like it's changing, but initially when I preach, the more quieter the crowd, the, the better I felt like I preached because they're actually listening. But I just have a feeling that uh, this might be a bit of a response message. So just for tonight only, uh, if... If you feel too like, if you feel that you really like believe something and support something, I encourage you to speak out during that moment. Is that cool? Um, so yeah, tonight, as Jared said, we're starting a three-week series called Heart for the House, and I thought I'd just start by just defining what we mean by that. And so to have a heart for the house, to have a heart for something means to have a value for something. When someone says that they have a heart for youth, they're saying, I have a value for youth. And usually that also looks like they sow into youth lives, whether financially or they give time, but they value youth. They listen to them. So when we speak about having a heart for the house, the series is asking the question, what does it look like to have a value for the house? Is that cool? Uh, But what does it mean by house? What do we mean when we say that? At some level, we are talking about this building. At some level, we are talking about that. But what we're more talking about is the identity and the mission that this house believes in, the identity and mission that this house represents. At some level, we're talking about this building and location, but having a heart for the house has more to do with having a heart and a value for the identity and mission of what is happening at Harmony, what God is doing through Harmony Church at this time. About three years ago, we moved from a school hall to this building, and it was a real big blessing because Gideon got to move his office from the house to an actual building, and we got to have larger services, and we got to be here during the week. And uh, during that time when we transitioned from week to week, from one week in a little school hall to next week we're here, uh, no one at that time questioned their, uh, their heart for harmony and their heart for what God was doing at harmony because there was a change of location, but their heart didn't change. And so I want you to know when we're talking about the heart for the house, for the, the identity and mission didn't change, sorry, the location changed, the identity and mission didn't. So when we're talking about heart for the house, we're talking about the identity and the mission, not just the location. Um, but in saying that, this house is facilitating a lot of what God is doing through harmony. And so I do encourage you to, to ask yourself, do I actually have a value for this building? Do I actually have a value for this place? I do want you to consider that, but I don't want you to stop at that point. You see, religion encompasses and restricts God to a building. But relationship with God goes with you. And the identity and the mission of this house also goes with you. So I do want you to have a value for this place. And I want you to understand when we're speaking about the house that this building is a a part of that. But that's where it starts. It's not where it stops. The identity and mission goes with us everywhere we go. So having a heart for the house is more about the identity and mission of revealing the nature of God's heart to his creation on earth than it is about a specific location. But this specific location is facilitating it at this time. So we do need to have a value for that. So if everyone understands that, that makes enough sense about what we're talking about. We're talking about having a heart, a value for the house, for what God is doing here at Harmony Church. The very next question everyone should ask is why? Why should we have a heart for the house? And what does, it, what does that really mean to actually have a heart for what God is doing here? There's a lot of religious jargon in there. 
To answer that question, uh, we're just going to have to have a brief history lesson. And I know there's uh, different trains of thought uh, with this, uh, but I do really just value every person here, regardless of what you believe in this moment. We really appreciate uh, that you're willing to step out and connect with others. Uh, But we as a a family here, the identity and mission of what we believe God is doing through this church is, is founded on the understanding that we have a creator that has created us for a purpose, that we didn't just appear, but we were designed by a designer, and therefore we have a purpose. We have something to live towards. Um, And uh, when we were first created, we were created to be in relationship with God. Part of our purpose is to relate to God, to be in relationship with God. And the Bible records uh, the first of mankind to be in relationship with him was Adam and Eve. But they made a decision with the free will which God gave them for relationship. They made a decision to walk away from their relationship with God. They chose to turn their back on relationship with God and they chose to trust themselves. They chose to trust their own understanding. And it was at that point we understand that sin entered the world because sin, for me at least, is best defined by separation of relationship with God. And so it was at that point when mankind made the decision to walk out of relationship with God and do their own thing, lean on their own understanding, is when sin entered the world and the challenge with sin, the punishment of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. Um, For the first time, mankind was separated from God, and this is what we understand as sin, separation from God. The issue, however, is that just like we're talking about having a a heart for the house, having a value for this house, God has such an eternal value for his creation. He has such an eternal value for his creation that he actually identifies each of us as his children. He has such an eternal value for you that he identifies every single person in this room as his son or his daughter. He sees himself as a loving father to his children. He has such a value for us, and so he's faced with a problem because his children have decided to live a life outside of that relationship with him. He had a value for what he had created, and it broke his heart to see how sin, separation of relationship with God was affecting his creation, and so he sent his only divine son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus showed up to this earth 2,000 years ago, and everything changed. Now, for me, I was 21 years old, and I'd never really weighed up the concept of whether God was real or not. But I got to a place in my life where I began to see the things that I were pursuing, the, the things that I found purpose and joy in were, were not fulfilling. They were temporary and they were not fulfilling. And then I saw there were people around me who I knew who lived with more purpose and more joy than me, but they were pursuing things of selfless. They were selfless by nature, yet the things that I was pursuing purpose and joy in were selfish by nature. And yet despite Yet they were pursuing things that were selfless by nature, but they had more joy than me and they had more purpose than me. And I thought about it and and the common denominator was all these people were Christians. And I remember that time when I was 21 thinking, you know, like, what does that mean? What does a Christian mean? And I remember thinking about Jesus. I knew Jesus was to do with Christianity. And then I remember having this thought, which is just as clear as day for me now. Uh, I'll describe it as a supernatural intervention in my life because it started the transformation of the life I live now. And that thought was, I wonder if Jesus was real. 
I wonder if Jesus is real. I had never even thought about that, whether he was more than just a story, whether he was more than just a, a old person's tale, or whether he actually existed. It never crossed my mind until that moment. But I asked the question, is Jesus real? And it was around that time that my, uh, uh, my sister gave me a book from Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is an American author. He's written uh, like a thousand books. And he wrote this particular book called Case for Christ. And I really encourage you to read it if you're very logically inclined. And uh, my sister gave it to me and I read it. And I remember just being quite impacted because I had looked nothing into Jesus or Christianity or anything like this. This is my first real experience. And in that book, he pointed out that um, uh, if you were like George Washington, the first president of the United States of America about 280 years ago, in a court of law, you could to a greater degree prove that Jesus existed than George Washington. To a greater degree in a legal court, you could prove that Jesus existed more than George Washington. And in other words, to deny the existence of Jesus as a person here on earth is to deny the foundation of America, which is pretty recent. And so it really stuck with me in that moment because I was like, okay, I don't really argue with like very clear logic. And I'm like, okay, Jesus is real. But the next question, was he God? Was he God? Um, Jesus didn't lead an army. He didn't lead a nation. He didn't conquer a nation. In the world's eyes, he didn't lead a kingdom, and he wasn't a king. Jesus had no political influence. He wasn't born into an affluent family that had influence in the political arena. He he didn't have financial influence. He wasn't a millionaire. He wasn't influencing his city because he was so loaded. Jesus didn't even write a book. He didn't even write a book, yet he flipped the entire world upside down, so much so everything else now exists in reference to that time he spent on earth. Your very birthday is merely in reference to while Jesus was here. The job, the the company that you work for, the school you went to was established in reference to that time that Jesus was here on earth. He didn't conquer a nation. He didn't write a book. He wasn't a king in this earth's eyes, but he turned this world up so much so that 2,000 years later, over 2.2 billion people profess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. He flipped the world upside down. I don't believe Jesus was just a man. I believe he was God, and I believe he was God incarnate. That word incarnate, incarnation, means the spirit of something dwelling within a human form. And so Jesus was God incarnate because God, the fullness of who God was, dwelt in Jesus. And Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That means everything that was God dwelt within the person Jesus. This brings me back to the story of creation, that mankind was created to be in an eternal relationship with their creator, with Father God. But they made a decision with the trust that God gave them for love and for relationship. They used that trust to trust themselves. They removed themselves from relationship with God. Sin entered the world. Separation of relationship with God entered the world. And the consequence of that was death. But Jesus showed up on the scene. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for that separation of sin. 
when, when Jesus uh, gave up his life, he, he, he lived a perfect life. He didn't sin at all. He didn't separate his relationship with God for one second. He walked his whole life in, re- in relationship with Father God. He lived a sinless and perfect life. And then he was crucified by the political and the religious leaders of the day. But, and they took his life, but they didn't just take his life. He gave it. And at that moment when he laid down his life, he paid the price as God for the sins of the entire world, that the punishment of sin is death. And in that moment, Jesus took the punishment of the whole world upon himself when he laid down his life on the cross. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And when, when God raised Jesus from the grave, three days later, he gave us access through forgiveness of sins and placing our faith in him to step into that divine relationship with the heavenly father. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever may believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. If you are feeling condemned by Jesus, if you've ever felt condemned by God, you have missed His heart. Because God did not send His Son in the world to condemn you. If you're feeling condemned, that's not God, that's religion. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus was a real person. He was also really God. And he took on himself the consequence of sin, the separation of relationship with God for all of mankind, that that whoever accepts him as their Lord and Savior, whoever accepts the forgiveness of sin, of separation of relationship with your creator and places your trust in him shall be forgiven and inherit eternal life and eternal relationship with your creator. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 40 days after Jesus rose from the grave, he, or during that time, he met with his disciples and he met with hundreds of others. But 40 days after, he said to his disciples, hey, I want you to meet me at this place on this mountain. And uh, a tax collector named Matthew, who followed Jesus at the time, uh, wrote an account of this occasion when, when Jesus met his disciples. And so Matthew, the tax collector, records in chapter 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love this part. I love this part because for me it speaks of authenticity. If you were trying to convince the world that God was real, if that was your primary motive to convince the world that God was real, you would not tell them that people saw him in the flesh and doubted. You would, not do, you would not do that. But instead, this displays that Matthew had a priority to testify about what he saw. He wasn't trying to convince. He was trying to testify. And so he says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So to have a heart for the house, to have a heart for what God is doing here at Harmony and through Harmony, is to have a heart for the identity and mission of knowing Jesus and following Him. And following Him looks like inviting others into that relationship. If following Jesus is limited to you and Him, then you've missed the point. Relationship with God looks like inviting others into that and to have a heart for the houses, to have a heart for the identity and mission of the church here on earth. If the band could come up, please. To have a heart for the house is to have a heart for the identity and mission for people to know the love of God. To see nations starting with ours. To come, to come and be reconciled in relationship with their creator. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. I'm about to read a little bit of it. To a church in Corinth that was uh, experiencing a lot of people who are placing their faith in Jesus. They were living lives where they were uh, addicted to substances, addicted to, to perverse sexual experiences. They had bizarre beliefs. They were dysfunctional. But they were encountering this love of Jesus through followers of him. And they were placing their faith in him and their lives were being transformed. But even though when you place your faith in God, it transforms your life, but it doesn't make everything think perfect. You still have to deal with humans. And so Paul's dealing with this. He's dealing with all these salvations. He's dealing with all these miraculous transformations. And so he speaks to the church of Corinth and he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 21, he says, all this is from God, all this transformation, all these people becoming born again, coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior is from God, who, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul's saying that we were reconciled to God through Jesus, through his death and resurrection and that he gave us that ministry of reconciliation in that moment, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He's not counting people's sins against them because Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross when he bore the price of that sin. The only step now is for you to accept that, for people to accept the forgiveness of Jesus. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has given that to us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. When you jump on a bus, when you walk into a supermarket, when you go to work, people don't necessarily see God, but they see you because God is in you. You are the representation of God's presence here on earth. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, a representative of another world, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Your first responsibility is you and your relationship with God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To have a heart for the houses, to have a heart to see people be reconciled into relationship with God and not religion. 
Relationship with a life-giving creator, not rules. Relationship with a God that loves you, that believes you, that desires to edify and encourage you every day, not to fit into some sort of structure. To have a heart for the houses, to have a heart to see humanity reconciled to their divine purpose and to be in relationship, life-giving relationship with their creator. When we talk about having a heart for the house, we're talking about having a value for making a difference in this world we live in, for drawing people out of isolation, for drawing people out of selfish ambition and into life-giving relationship with God and the community around them. I'd love you all to take some time tonight or this week to process what your heart is for God's house, what your heart is for His, His mission and His vision. What is your heart? for the house? What is your value for the house? What do you value? What do you value? What is your heart for the house? What is it and what could it look like? What could it look like for a mustard seed to grow inside of you to the point where you're willing to lay down your whole life to see that identity and mission of people knowing Jesus, being in a life-giving relationship with Him? What could that look like? In the last couple of weeks, God has wrecked my heart for those who don't know Him, for those who are living in isolation and darkness and deception. It looks really good on the outside for many, but it's very sad and hollow for most. That when no one's looking, when that phone is finally turned off, when you finally lay your head down the pillow, there is a lot of people in this city who are alone. And some medicate it, some deal with it in many different ways, but they're not in a life-giving relationship with the Creator. They're walking outside of their purpose, and we have that opportunity to invite them into that. We have that opportunity to grow a heart for the house, a heart for God's mission. We don't have to look far to see people who are living isolated, dealing with self-hatred, who live with the fear that they are not enough, and so they seek to find their purpose out of things that take life from them and take life from others. But to have a heart for the house is to have a heart to give, to sow our lives into people, to sow the life that Jesus has given into others in order that they may be reconciled to their Creator and they may come into a life-giving relationship. Is that good?